0: A hey Physionic Podcast. A bit of background on what you're about to listen to. This is a feature episode with a fellow classmate, student, and friend of mine that is extremely knowledgeable on cancer and did a lot of research actually for this podcast. So there's a lot of really valuable information. Uh, between a few laughs that we share, you'll be getting a ton of information, but I will say we cover uh, things like the impact of sugar on cancer. We talk about some metabolism, how that could impact cancer. We talk about uh, artificial sweeteners. We talk about a bunch of different things, lifestyle factors, genetic factors, a ton of stuff. So this is going to be packed with great, great content. Hopefully you find it informative. And if you do, then certainly share the podcast and leave a review if you feel so inclined. All right, with that said, let's jump right in.
1: All right, welcome to the Physionic Podcast. My name is, if you're not familiar with who I am, what this podcast is about, it's about learning your body from the macro to the macro, from the macro to the micro. My name is Nicholas Verhoven. I am a PhD student in molecular medicine, and today I have the great honor, the great honor of having a friend of mine and a classmate of mine, uh, Abnub Gad. So Abnub and this particular topic is going to be talking about cancer. So Abnub has a considerable amount of experience at least researching in cancer. So uh, I thought it might be interesting to get somebody who's more knowledgeable than I am uh, on the topic of cancer and certainly a big one that affects a lot of different individuals. So with that said, you want to talk a little bit about your background?
2: Yeah, first of all, um, I don't like that you called me student, like you're putting us on the same plane. <laughs> Cancer is way more important than muscles. Um, yeah. I don't study muscles, but all right. Whatever, Nick, I'm not paying attention to you. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm old. I uh, graduated college in 2015 with a degree in neuroscience and psychology, like you. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I went to, uh, I went on to a job. Uh, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, the number one children's hospital in the United States. Um, And I I worked on leukemia there, uh, PH like ALL, if you're interested. Um, And I also got my master's part-time while I was in Philly. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, after I graduated, um, they politely told me that the grant ran out, so I I went on to the Dana-Farber Cancer Center, the number one cancer center in the world. Um, <laughs> These are
1: all from unbiased sources, as in the actual places he went to, they all told him they were
2: number one. <laughs> <laughs> Google it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I worked there for a year and uh, now I'm here uh, in the molecular medicine PhD program uh, doing more cancer stuff. Okay, so your track
1: is? Cancer biology. Cancer biology, and your master's was in? Pharmacology pharmacology so you did psychology neuroscience undergrad and then uh, pharmacology for your master's and now molecular medicine
2: i like to keep it fresh like <laughs>
1: okay good um so like i said we're going to be talking about cancer i'm going to be asking abnub and different questions that we've kind of gone over i've asked uh, a lot of you guys over instagram on uh, particular questions you'd like answered So. I've got a few of those written down, and let's get right into it. So the first question that I wanted to ask was related to sugar. So a lot of people talk about nutrition having an impact on cancer, and I'm curious if you have any particular thoughts on how sugar can impact cancer, or even if it does.
2: Uh, So yes and no. Um, Sugar feeds... Pretty much every cell in your body, right? Uh, yeah. And when I say sugar, I don't mean just like table sugar, like carbohydrates, right? Breads, pastas, mm-hmm. table sugar. Um, so sugar itself isn't gonna cause cancer. Um, they've uh, September of last year, they did a meta analysis uh, that included uh, like ninety-eight thousand patients from the eighties up until twenty eighteen, and they found that having high doses of sugar in your diet isn't gonna cause cancer, um, but this the side effect of having too much sugar o- obesity is what can sometimes predispose you to certain cancers Um, and there's something it's difficult to study this in humans in particular because you can't take you can't take a person and tell them all right for the next six months i'm gonna just pump you full of sugar right and we're gonna see if you get cancer <laughs> uh, right. you know, so a lot of the a lot of the stuff is done in rats or mice, mm-hmm. or it's done through epidemiological studies where I collect a bunch of cancer patients and I ask them, "Hey, how much how much sugar do you eat on a regular basis?" And right. So that's how a lot of nutrition and cancer stuff is done because you can't do a controlled study to try and give people cancer.
1: So, so for the human uh, studies, those were more like retrospective, as in they kind of just went back to to figure out how much. Sugar content and they didn't find any sort of correlation between sugar and, and cancer.
2: Yeah, no, uh, the, the big correlation would be obesity, but it like, say, okay. someone, someone like me takes in a bunch of sugar, I, I get more obese, probably high chance of cancer. Someone, <laughs> okay. uh, someone with all these fancy muscles, Nicholas, uh, eat as much sugar as you want, it's not gonna make a tumor pop up on you,
1: okay? Yeah. Okay, so interesting, all right, so, um, certainly. I've talked on sugar and its impact on obesity, and certainly it can be a contributing factor. It's certainly not the only factor. It's not like if you uh, eat sugar, you're suddenly going to become obese. Uh, but that said, you know, overconsumption of sugar is usually hand in hand with overconsumption of calories, energy intake in general, and then of course you have subsequent obesity after that. Okay, so the next question, and I know that you had a few uh, reservations on exactly how you're going to answer this, but uh, somebody asked about the estimated. So again, the key word there: estimated ratio of lifestyle and genetics for actually acquiring cancer. What would you
2: say to that? Um, cancer is not cancer is genetic, but not inherited in a sense. It's it's difficult to inherit cancer from your parents. Um, In order, you know, your genes come in two alleles, you get two chromosomes uh, from your mom and your dad. Um, The odds of you getting two cancer-causing alleles just through, you know, your parents as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, plus your body has defense mechanisms in place to take care of that if you were to get it. So just pure genetics is hard. Usually they talk about getting, acquiring a mutation Um, throughout your life so I'd say like if I had to estimate a ratio lifestyle I would consider just randomness of life is it's definitely skewed towards that like maybe I'm in the Sun more often and I'm getting UV rays that are breaking up my DNA Um, right so things like that or I'm eating a lot of food that's cooked with high heat Uh, like red meats when cooked with high heat can form some cyclic compounds that have been known to cause cancer so things like that Uh, so i'd say it skews towards lifestyle much more than it does genetic okay so uh,
1: on the genetic aspect though uh, is it then more common for a person to have one particular gene from a parent that would be more cancer promoting and then they have some sort of lifestyle event that then predisposes them to get cancer or are you saying that it's completely unheard of for a person to have uh, Two different genes that are both cancers from both
2: parents. Nothing is unheard of, you know, in cancer. You'll you'll find that everything <laughs> has happened to someone once. Right. Um, but no, they talk about like this, like a two-hit hypothesis, where you have one mutation when you're born, but you gotta acquire the second hit to your genome somehow to to get these cells to start proliferating un- uncontrollably. So yeah, I, I'd say you the two-hit hypothesis is what you're what I'd lean towards.
1: Okay, um, and when it comes to lifestyle, I imagine that if you live on, <laughs> if you live next to a nuclear power plant or something along those lines, that probably has some sort of impact as well. So it, that's why it's so hard to, to really give an estimate on a, a specific ratio of, oh, it's 20% this, you know, 60% this and 10%, 10% whatever it is, like it, it's hard to actually say, Oh, it's exactly, it's because every person has different lifestyle uh, factors and, of course, their genes themselves are going to be completely different from person to person. So um, there's a lot of different factors, essentially. So the estimation is incredibly difficult. So let's move on to the next one. So in general, can diet, so we talked about sugar specifically, but as a whole, can diet positively impact cancer? Or can it? let's just say, can it have an impact on cancer in general?
2: Uh, It depends like prophylactically like before you get cancer definitely like you can eat things that will Throw off signaling in your body throw off like glucose levels insulin levels things like that Mm -hmm. That will cause cancer, but once you get cancer There isn't really like a a diet or like a magic pill or something you can ingest uh, at home that will make it go away Um, You might be able to you know lessen certain symptoms or lessen some side effects from drugs with diet, but once cancer is diagnosed, uh, there isn't really any evidence that you can change your diet and get healed. And there's unfortunately a lot of like YouTube pages or like websites online that are selling people like, like PDFs with like diets on them. Like I cured pancreatic cancer with this simple 12 week diet. And I, it, it's out there. Uh, yesterday I saw a YouTube channel, this dude who had seven PhDs Wow, uh, and, and and a doctorate <laughs> in like naturopathic medicine. Always good, uh, which is not a thing. Um, and I like googled him. I, I looked him up on LinkedIn. All of his degrees are from Panama from a school that I could not find exists. But he has a very popular YouTube channel, and you know, cancer is one. It's not understood well, and two, uh, the one thing people need more than anything, I think, is hope and. That's what a lot of these websites sell, like Hope. Um, but scientifically, I couldn't find any evidence that once I get cancer, I can change my diet and it can be curative without some sort of medical intervention, be it surgery, chemo, or you know, immunotherapy or some of these new things that are coming out now.
1: And why, why, why do you think that uh, nutrition doesn't have that impact? I, I guess let me reframe the question. Like, What makes cancer so incredibly difficult to treat?
2: Well, one it's it's heterogeneous. It's very different uh, from person to person. Um, You know, you hear things like staging of cancer, like I have stage two lymphoma or something, or stage four breast cancer. Um, So it's different from person to person. Um, The and based on all these differences, you treat it differently, and ultimately your body finds a way to maintain it. Like, what's the word? Uh,
1: sort of an H. Homeostasis. Homeostasis, right?
2: Homeostasis. Homeostasis an important word I'm in a PhD program. I should know, <laughs> I should know homeostasis. <laughs> uh, your body finds a way to ma- maintain homeostasis. Like you hear this thing about uh, some people will stop eating sugar yeah, when right. they get cancer because I will starve my cancer yeah, cells. Right. But to be honest, like your glucose levels don't really change much. If your body can throw out some insulin, it can, uh, you know, lice some glucagon. It, uh, it can go through gluconeogenesis, like making sugar fresh when you don't intake sugar. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, your body finds a way to maintain stability. So there isn't much you can do at home to drastically change the environment of your body to try to throw off your cancer. And your your cancer is very smart, you know, it can, it can get around some of these things, um, like its metabolism. It's is different. It can it can hoard resources from your body. Um, so yeah, I I just I can see nutrition having like positive. It, it, science sees that nutrition has positive impacts on cancer. So if I'm if you maintain a good diet now, then the chances of you getting cancer are decreased. But you know, someone who has stage three, I don't know, like pancreatic cancer. No, don't don't start eating parsley shakes. You're you're you need to go to a doctor. Right.
1: Um, right. So with uh, with nutrition, you, you touched on it. How cancer can be really devilish, just because it can it can adapt. It's incredibly intelligent. Like it it just knows how to uh, use its environment to its advantage. And I, I know of a subject, we didn't even talk about this, necess- oh, actually you've got it right there, the Warburg effect. Yeah, Otto Warburg.
2: Uh, yeah, so can you talk a little bit about what that is? Uh, Otto Warburg, uh, definitely top five Germans in my book. Um, he was a, a German in the early 1900s who had, uh, had some cells, some cancer cells and some regular cells, and he saw the cancer cells were eating way more sugar than yeah. the, the regular cell. Um, so. Um, basically this, this idea that the cancer cell is hoarding sugar to itself yeah. became known though as the Warburg effect and his idea of like why this was happening was incorrect. But today we know that, uh, what the cancer cell is able to do is it's, it can hoard the sugar and instead of going through the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, um, instead of going through the mitochondria, your cancer cell, um, actually makes lactate, um, to break down the sugar for energy, uh-huh. which yeah. makes way less energy than the mitochondria, because uh-huh. the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Naturally. So the reason uh, your cells are, the cancer cell is able, to, is doing this, like why should I take less energy, um, but and not go through my mitochondria, which can make like 18 times the energy of the lactate system, right. is because there's no feedback inhibition. So the mitochondria has systems in place to tell itself like, oh, I have enough energy. I'm going to feed backwards and tell myself, okay, we can start storing some of this stuff. I don't need to make any more energy. Mm -hmm. When you go through uh, making lactate, you get less energy, but it can go on forever. And it helps maintain some carbons. So carbons are sugar is ultimately some carbon that gets broken down into energy. And if I can maintain those carbons, I can use them as building blocks for other things so the cancer cells can proliferate and grow and make more. So they avoid the mitochondria even though they have mitochondria and they function and they're good. Mm. Um, and that's that's the Warburg effect. It's how cancer cells are, eat.
1: So it's a, it's it's largely a shift in metabolism then from, from what other cells might have or what would be kind of normal. Mm-hmm. Um, And along with that, you mentioned the heterogeneity between different cancers, I mean, if you're looking at like a glioblastoma compared to, I don't know, some other cancer, um, the metabolism between those types of cancers could be different, but also within just the glioblastoma family of cancers because there's such heterogeneity uh, even just within that one type of cancer. So the idea that uh, people use, oh, well, I cured brain cancer because I avoided X food, it, it, it doesn't really pan out even within that one cancer because that one cancer can be so different because of different mutations and all kinds of different uh, factors that can make it so different uh, from really just every other cancer that is within that arm of, of uh a family of cancers. I don't even know if I'm explaining that correctly, but I get it. <laughs> okay, you get it. Um, so diet can have an impact, but it's more of just kind of leading up to the point. Once you have cancer, uh, it's not to going to have. Definitely talk to a doctor. <laughs> That's like the, the the number one thing. And uh, having you know good nutrition is certainly important no matter what you know whatever state you're in. Uh, if you're not getting any vitamin A for the rest of your life, that's a problem. And that's just a problem in general. You know, It doesn't have to be necessarily because of cancer, though.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I was in class the other day, and the professor put up a, a slide, and he was like, what causes cancer? And the first thing on the slide was breathing. Uh, <laughs> you breathe, that's oxygen. Oxygen can make oxygen radicals. It can interact with things. It can cause inflammation. Whatever. Um, I, I think it, we don't... If you were to ask a doctor, he'd tell you everything, like, in moderation. Because everything can cause cancer. Like coffee, black coffee, you have a cup a day, it's supposedly healthy. You have a gallon a day, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> carcinogenic. Yeah, right. uh, the sun, I love the sun. If you stay out in it too long, you're, you, you're going to get UV radiation. You're gonna, yeah. You might get cancer. Um, so uh, it's sugar. Um, they did that study with the rats that we were talking about earlier where... They gave rats the equivalent of uh, something like 400 packets of Splenda and they got cancer. One packet of Splenda a day is not going to cause cancer. Right. 400 packets a day, it's <laughs> probably going to It's going to cause cancer. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I just think doing things in moderation uh, will decrease the chance of you getting cancer. Like You don't need a steak every week or every day. You can have a steak once a month. You'll be fine.
1: Yeah and it's I mean, and that's totally true for something other than cancer. I've spoken on this before. If you drink 12 gallons of water, I mean you get water poisoning. That's not moderation. You're going to die. Like it's simple as that. Like going to any one extreme is just it's just poor practice in general, especially when it comes to cancer, but even outside of that realm it's certainly uh, certainly true as well and you touched on this already but uh, talking about the Splenda experiment but also um, we talked on sugar we talked on nutrition what about artificial sweeteners what what do you know about that how does that affect cancer or does it
2: yeah so this is one of those like cancer myths that it came out in the 70s Uh, basically a a lab in Italy uh, came out with the study saying um, hey we gave we gave some rats uh, saccharin, and these rats developed tumors. And saccharin at the time was in like toothpaste, you right. know. And Canada banned it completely. the The U.S. started putting like labels on things like this contains like cancer causing, yada yada yada. Um, so, you know, years later, the FDA is looking into this again and. They they find that mechanistically rats digest saccharin different than humans. Human Shocker. yeah. <laughs> so if you, uh, if, a, if a rat takes it in, yeah, it's it's gonna cause cancer because there's a byproduct there that humans just don't make. Uh, we we take it in, it's broken down, I think, into like phenylalanine or something pretty yeah. inert, and it just goes that's on that's its merry way. So in 2010, the I think Canada no longer bans it, it's currently in your toothpaste probably, like look through, uh, you're fine, no one, no one, you're not gonna die. Um, so after doing a lot of like epidemiological studies and better controlled like rat studies, um, you find that, you no, know, it doesn't really do much for humans, it's, it's not cancer causing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also aspartame, the thing that's in like diet soda, that one's supposedly also like very cancer causing. Um, the same lab is <laughs> the it's the same lab that came out with this study, and the FDA came out and said like this was a badly designed study. Uh, they found that you can get you can make a rat get a tumor with sixteen thousand parts per million aspartame or Splenda. They mm. they did it with both. Yeah, they did it both. Yeah, and do you know what sixteen thousand parts per million is? It's four hundred and twenty packets of Splenda a day. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was the lowest uh, like dose that you can that they saw an effect so yeah artificial sweeteners aren't don't cause cancer but you know a tub of artificial sweeteners <laughs> probably gonna cause cancer yeah right yeah and that's actually not the only
1: study that's I've my very first article that I ever wrote for Physionic at that point it was called OmniFocus Fitness but now physionic i know know. um that i did it on aspartame so i read 30 different studies and some of them were on cancer and there were other cancer studies that looked at obviously aspartame's link to to cancer and they literally if you extrapolate it out in terms of the amounts that they took in you're taking in kilograms of aspartame (laughs) which is insane because aspartame is 200 times sweeter than just regular sugar so you need so much less so to think that if you're consuming kilograms of regular sugar that's already just asinine but then on top of that think aspartame which is 200 times more potent i mean it's just it's absolutely insane to think that in physiological levels or any sort of applicably nutritious nutritious levels that you're you're going to be consuming that much aspartame it goes exactly back to our previous point that you're overdoing it. I mean, it's not even overdoing it, it's just like you're killing yourself. Like Mm -hmm. Even beyond cancer, you won't even have to worry about cancer because
2: you can't even physically eat that much of these artificial sweeteners. Yeah. Also, this is like a fault of science. Say I do a study Mm -hmm. and I find that Splenda doesn't cause cancer, right? And I'm sure hundreds of labs did this study back in the 70s, 80s when these things were getting popular. You can't publish that anywhere. No one wants to publish, like, great, you found nothing. So the thing that does get published is this radical, like, yeah, these rats have prostate cancer. Everyone's going to die. Like, this is the plague. Right. Uh, That's what gets published. But, you know, if you look at the FDA and, like, the EU's version of the FDA, they they did a a study of 500,000 people over decades. And they didn't find, like, any sort of correlation, you know, let alone causation between Splenda or artificial sweeteners and cancer. So have your Splendas. Um, my family all has diabetes. No one has cancer. They love Splenda. You know, It's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's perfectly fine. Okay, so the next topic, somebody asked me about resistance training and its impact on potential cancer risk or any sort of relation that it might have. Do you know anything about that?
2: Yeah, so I... I I tried every like search I could to see if anyone's ever looked into this and I I couldn't find anything. Uh Uh, Generally for uh, people who go through um, hormone therapy for like prostate cancer or Mm -hmm. ovarian cancer or something, uh, they go through a 12 week regimen of resistance training to uh, strengthen their bodies and make sure they're not losing too much muscle mass. But as far as like resistance as a prophylactic for for cancer, I, I couldn't find anything. Sounds okay. like a nice thesis proposal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. Uh, let me ask you about something else. Then that's, and I'll try and relate it back to this: uh, reactive oxygen species. So, do you think? Do you do you know of any evidence that reactive oxygen species induce cancer or have some sort of impact on cancer? I mean, it's the same as
2: before. Yes, in a sense, um, if you have reactive oxygen species, you can you can definitely develop a predisposition to certain cancers, but the way these studies were done is, I'm not about to give someone a bunch of reactive oxygen. Um, You do your best with animal studies and if the dose is high enough, dose, um, then yeah, uh, potentially.
1: Okay, so going off that, if that's just a factor, and it may be a major factor, maybe a minor factor, we don't know, but with exercise in general, if that's resistance training or specifically aerobic exercise, uh, there's actually a greater capacity. Um, during the actual exercise session, we actually see increases in reactive oxygen species, actually pretty sizable increases in ROS. That's why I don't um, exercise. <laughs> yeah, but on the on the back end, so don't listen to him, because on the back end... I don't exercise either end. <laughs> <laughs> on the back end, uh, what you'll find is that... Uh, our ability, the, the cell's ability to buffer uh, ROS, reactive oxygen species, is actually uh, considerably enhanced. So if you can make an argument just from that one sliver of a point, that resistance training, or, but more specifically uh, cardiovascular exercise, would lead to a decreased risk of uh, cancer You could maybe make that argument. I'm just throwing out the information out there because we didn't have anything else to talk about on that topic. Because how? I mean, there aren't going to be that many studies that are going to look at uh, exercise and its impact specifically on cancer. Um, That's just what I've investigated in in the past.
2: How'd you even do that study? (laughs) Do you just get some like doughy individuals? Like, (laughs) all right. The half of you are going to work out and we'll see if you get cancer <laughs> down the line. You know, 80% of cancer is uh, diagnosed post 60 years old.
1: Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, like, who who's, who's the target, like, subject for this study? Like, they, like old people who lift? Right. Because uh, most old people aren't lifting, aren't doing resistance training the way, like, a young person would do it.
1: Yeah. Know, oh, just, that's true. That's true. That's totally
2: true. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the
1: last question... Could you talk about what reactive oxygen species are? Because that's probably something that not a lot of people are all that familiar with.
2: Yeah, I mean, oxygen, Just kind of generally. oxygen is everywhere. Um, and whenever oxygen has electrons that aren't paired with anything, right? Like mm-hmm. everything likes to have eight electrons around it to, to be nice and stable. When oxygen doesn't have that, it becomes reactive and it will start, you know, making connections with whatever it, it finds around and that can lead to inflammation and it can lead to your immune system reacting to it and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Um, so yeah, that's that's why people say take antioxidants mm-hmm. they're against oxygen so you don't make these an excess of these oxygen species.
1: Right. And you can get that from your nutrition and you can certainly get that from, um, as I said, exercise buffers that just by increasing some of those antioxidant abilities within your cells. However, uh, and you mentioned this before, that if you overdo it on antioxidants, you're also uh, causing a lot of damage. Not necessarily cancer, although it's certainly a possibility as well, but also in other areas. So ROS, reactive oxygen species, are also used as signaling molecules. So you kind of have to have some of them, and again goes back to our previous point, but you don't want too many of them, you don't want too little of them, you have to have them right in the middle. And your body's really good at keeping them right in the middle as long as you're not going off the deep end. Uh, you know, smoking, drinking, uh, not keeping up with your mm. nutrition, obesity, diet, like all these different things. Did you just point at me. <laughs> what? <laughs> you mentioned obesity earlier, so all i All right, calm it down.
2: The BMI of 29, <laughs> one away from obesity.
1: <laughs> all right. <so laughs> So let's move on to the last question. People sometimes say that we have made no progress whatsoever as a scientific community towards curing cancer. Some people might even say that the government is holding back the cure for cancer. What would you say to those people?
2: Definitely. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> there we have it. First. That's what I've got for you on the physiotic podcast. Uh, yeah, no, no Obama's Obama took it with him. <laughs> no, um, the government's not hiding the, the cancer cure. Uh, one, cancer is not one thing. Cancer is an umbrella term for over 200 different diseases. For the government to hide your cancer cure, one, they need to have hired hundreds of thousands of employees built manufacturing plants to d- get these drugs made um, and all, all of that while academia not having caught up to any of these 200 drugs it, they're not they're not hiding it also you'd make way more money by selling this cure than keeping it like some some leukemias for example are are curable very curable mm. um, as of like 2010 uh, if you catch Hodgkin's lymphoma early enough it's 100% cured um it costs half a million dollars but it's it's curable (laughs) and your insurance probably covers it because it's leukemia yeah um
1: so what about what
2: about progress do you think that we have made any progress so it's uh the progress kind of looks like this what is this exponential (laughs) um (laughs) so in in the beginning you we made very slow progress because you had two methods of of treating cancer from Uh way back in like renaissance time if you had a growth what do you do? You cut it out, <laughs> just right? Just cut it out, man. right? So you, you, surgery was always the the first line of defense. Then we came up with chemotherapy, which is just a set of a bunch of different drugs that are toxic to cancer cells and you, like just your regular cells. But you know, in the early 2000s, you had this revolution of targeted therapies, where now I can I can get an antibody that's specific to something on a cancer cell that's not mm-hmm. on my regular cells. And in 2010, and like onwards, you have this huge discovery of like immune therapy where I can teach my immune system to target the cancer cells. And this is how a lot of leukemia is, is treated, for example, or now we can, um, we can do bone marrow transplants that aren't 100 percent matches anymore. So mm-hmm. a lot of people who get these blood cancers, you know, cured. And now we're even engineering cells and we're coming up with like peptide drugs. So at the beginning, yes, it was very slow in the 70s. Uh, if you got um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, your five year survival chance was <laughs> something like 50, 50%. Uh, today it's 99. Uh, so we've made, for a lot of different cancers, we've made significant progress. And given the state of technology and how fast technology is moving today, um, it's it's getting better and better, much faster than it was before. So. No, I think we've definitely made progress, but I think it's just human nature to focus on the negative. Well, that's
1: true. And also, if you just, I mean, without even taking any of those points to heart, you can just look at something as simple as our population is increasing, our obesity crisis is increasing. You're going to have higher cancer rates. It's as simple as that. You're just going to have more people that have cancer just because the population has increased and because of all these other factors that we've talked about. So uh, even though the technology is getting better and better, and we're curing more people, we're uh, extending life expectancy for a lot of cancer patients, that doesn't get as much uh, credit or uh, gets kind of lost in, in the wash of the fact that there are so many people that are getting cancer. And that's just because we're not leading the the healthiest lifestyles necessarily at least in the united states <laughs> i know he's, he's how
0: shocked dare you.
2: <laughs> shocked how i know how dare you mcdonald's <laughs> offers grilled chicken <laughs> what do you want <laughs> so with that said uh
1: is there anything in specific that you wanted to make sure that you get out there about specifically cancer that people f- you feel like people are getting wrong or people are
2: not understanding correctly Um, I just say like watch your sources Um, uh, like there's so much misinformation because it's such an easy way to take advantage of people like you're at your most desperate moment probably like a loved one or someone is potentially going to pass away so you know there's people out there who unfortunately try to take advantage of you and there's people who are misinformed who will accidentally take advantage of you like they truly believe a parsley milkshake is gonna cure your adenocarcinoma. It's not. Um, I'm. I'm not saying like blindly listen to two graduate students. Like we, we acknowledge we don't know much about anything. We, <laughs> we're just good at googling these things. Um, but you know, be skeptical. You know, look, look at your sources. Make sure you're uh, looking at. Look at like articles and look at, at scientific literature and try to. If you don't understand it, talk to your doctor. Like bring them an article. Tell them like. Uh, they'll be happy to tell you, like, oh, that's what this means or whatever. Uh, just be very critical and don't don't take things at face value. Like, if you were to read that article from Italy a few years ago, you'd, you'd say, okay, Splenda that causes cancer. But, you know, you do a little digging, you ask some questions, eventually you, you'll find the truth. So uh, I think skepticism is, is very important when it comes to matters of cancer or, or most things, you know. You don't want to just be an idiot (laughs) that's true
1: yeah skepticism is incredibly important and if you do have a doctor that if you bring them an article or something i mean i i get that especially in the united states doctors don't have that much time but you should get a sense of your doctor and get an idea that uh you should get a doctor who wants to help educate you and uh isn't going to say oh 10 minutes are up sorry you know get the boot get out of here uh, your health is incredibly important, and it's talk, probably the most important.
2: Talk to your local grad student. We love to feel important. Uh, <laughs> That's true. We, no one really talks to us all day. We're in a lab. <laughs> I talk to three people, same three people every day. So. Or it we not, just whisper just, to ourselves. Yeah, we talk to. I talk to. I talk to my lab animals sometimes. <laughs> name them. Uh, yeah, find like. Fine. It doesn't necessarily have to be a doctor. Find someone who can read the scientific language if you need help and. See what they tell you. Yeah, true.
1: Okay, well, with that said, that's everything that we've got for today.
2: Hopefully you found the podcast informative. And And if you want a Nick's Abs podcast from now on where we talk about scientific memes, just hit that like button, subscribe, get our merch. Do we have merch yet? (laughs) We
1: do not have merch. All right, we'll get merch. (laughs) Uh, With that said, hopefully uh, I... I have the pleasure of speaking with you. Next time maybe we'll
2: we'll see if Abnu's up for another for a round 2 in the future. I love myself and <laughs> I will never not want to hear my voice recorded. So
1: Brilliant. Yep. Okay, have a good one, guys.